grace and peace to you, Christ Church. Uh, it is good to be with you today. And we will continue um, uh, talking about the good life this morning, what it is and how we can get in on it. And we have all recognized that it cannot be found in patio furniture, right? Or some other alluring narrative that promises satisfaction, be it political or a success how-to or life goals or whatever. And we also were reminded last week by Pastor Tommy that the good life cannot come to us through the approval of others. No person, no accolade, no recognition will be enough to produce the good life that we long for because it's not theirs to give. And perhaps most surprising of all is that all the things that you would think would disqualify us from participating in and receiving this good life of God, this being poor in spirit or depressed or downhearted or afraid, hearts full of grief or powerless or hungry for God or just seems so far away, all of those things that seem to disqualify us rather open us up to receive exactly what we need from God, how lucky we are, how blessed we are and as we are invited to walk into this kingdom way and find not the good life, but the best life waiting for us. So if you would turn with me today to uh, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 19. Uh, I'm going to just let you know, today's text is going to get up in your business, all right? Because it absolutely got up in mind this week, as the word occasionally does. So we're going to read it in two different chunks, but we'll start with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. Now, when you were a kid, did you ever have a secret treasure? You know, like a box full of special things you guarded with your life from your siblings, right? Or like a special doll or Hot Wheels, or maybe you were like into G.I. Joe's and all their accessories. Those are pretty cool, right? A postcard collection, perhaps, right? I had the giant pencils for a while. That was a thing. Now, not surprisingly, I was a book collector, right? I had like a small library in my room at a very young age. And that particular treasure has not changed. And uh, like if Tommy tries to cut down my book cache as we prepare for this move, I will cut him with paper from all the books at my disposal, okay, right? But when I was like eight or nine, I went through this stage where I was collecting seashells, okay? And not like the fancy seashells, not like the conch shells or like the pretty purpley pink ones. I'm talking like the chalky, ugly white shells from like the uh, Pacific Northwest coast that I collected at my grandparents' house up in Bremerton. Okay, so, but they were so special to me. They were so ugly, but they were so special to me. And they, because they represented my first trip to the ocean that I could actually remember. And when you were a kid from Kansas and all you could see was dirty farm ponds, as far as the eye could see, going to the ocean was a big deal. All right. And so uh, it also represented kind of a connection to my grandparents. So I just like, I was like hoarding these shells. They were like my special, special treasure. Anyway, I was so serious about these shells that I constructed little pillows for them. 
Like I took computer paper and I stuffed them with tissue and I stapled the edges and I had little shell cushions, right? And then <laughs> I wrote up proper handling procedures with subpoints. And I'm pretty sure there were even consequences for violating these procedures and heaven forbid what to do in the event of a broken shell. As you can see, I was a very fun child. Right. Now, as adults, we are much less likely to have a sacred shell collection. Oh, maybe you do. I don't know. You do you. That's fine. Uh, but we are far more likely to treasure other things, like less seashells, more stock shares. Okay, right? Less Hot Wheels, more square footage, or horsepower, or glammy vacations. Okay? Now, I could go on some little witty pulpit tirade now about how you can't take it with you. You've never seen a hearse carrying a U-Haul, right? I know you've heard that. And it's true, you can't. That would be awkward and weird for everyone involved. Now, in Luke, Jesus tells this brutal parable. It's one of his darker parables, I think. It says, it says this land of a rich man produced abundantly. And the man thought to himself, well, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, ah, I will do this. I will pull down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. Yikes. Like, cool story, Jesus. The guy's prospering. He wants to set up a nice retirement. He's just socking away some wealth, and then, bam, he gets news that on the eve of his retirement, his number's up. He's done. And now what? All that time spent, all that stuff acquired and stored, you can't take it with you. Now, is this story anti-barns? Thou shalt not construct extra barns? Is it extra or is it anti-silos? Is that the point of this particular parable? Am I anti-boat or anti-big truck or house? You see, it never works to make a list of uh, things like this possession is inherently evil. Well, this possession is ethically acceptable. That never, ever works, right? Fishing boats are okay. Personal yachts, how dare you, right? It just doesn't work, and this is why. Um, because what seems extravagant to one of us is perfectly normal and modest to another one of us, okay? It doesn't work. And what seems run down to you might be a great blessing to someone else. Now, Tommy and I recently had to buy a new vehicle because both of our cars were having trouble, and at least one of them is not making it out of the state. Just saying. But when we say new, Tommy and I mean at least 10 years old, okay? When we say new, we mean at least 100,000 miles on that odometer, all right? But still, without a doubt, it is the nicest car we have ever had. It has a backup camera. <laughs> did you know about this? I feel like you've been holding out on me. Like, how did I survive without this camera? Anyway, so some of you will be saying right now in your pew, like, oh my word, I cannot believe. You bought a car that old, right? You bought a car with 100,000 miles on it? That is so irresponsible. And by the way, I would never drive such an old and worn out vehicle. How embarrassing, right? And others of you are like, look at the pastor rolling deep in that 2009 Yukon. So fancy, right? See, a list is not going to help us. 
It's not going to do the task we need it to do. And as I studied this week, one other preacher, he said, our stuff cannot be measured. One's treasure cannot be measured by audit, but by attitude. We cannot just do an inventory of our stuff and determine whether or not we have a treasure problem. It's our attitude. Our posture is what reveals the truth. So what is our posture towards our stuff? Like what hold does it have over us? Now the text is pretty straightforward at this point. It says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now as we've said these last few weeks, love directs our feet. And in this case, our wallet, right? You follow the money and you find our hearts. Now, the word the gospel writer uses here is the word cardia. kind of sounds like cardiology, right? The word where we get our word for heart. Now, they did not understand heart in the same way we do that it pumps blood throughout the body. But they understood the heart to be the very core of a human being, the center of one's personhood, okay? The cardia, uh, it directed one's attention. It reflected one's commitments. It revealed one's devotion. So if you shift the treasure, the heart follows. But if you shift the heart the treasure changes. Now the question we must ask repeatedly, especially in our society that is undeniably and seemingly indelibly marked by consumerism, is who owns who? Do we own our stuff or does our stuff own us? Does it control us? Do we steward our stuff controlling our behavior uh, based on what we believe is right or does our stuff steward us how tight is our grip like on a scale of one to white knuckle how tight is our grip now in that very first passage you look at that very first verse in our passage today jesus says to us don't store up now consider this did you know in the united states there is approximately 1.7 billion square feet of storage space available for renting Billion with a B, friends. Extra space to store the extra stuff that we ain't using, right? And now, when I hear Jesus say this, don't store up treasures, I do not hear him denigrating the storage unit industry, okay? But what I do hear him saying is, don't hang on to your stuff for the sake of having it, for the sake of having a thicker and thicker safety net. Steward it. Use it. Put it to work for the kingdom. You have an extra car? Cool. Does it really need to sit idly on the curb or can it bless somebody else? Do you have some extra furniture or clothes or tools or whatever more than you need? Who might need it? How might we practice kingdom generosity and stewardship, both blessing others and thereby freeing ourselves? You see, Tommy and I are currently in this process of both selling and buying a house. Now, if you are in the market for a nice ulcer, this is a great way to get one. Uh, Because so much is out of your control when you are selling and buying a house. Uh, But anyway, buying a house very quickly reveals your priorities and treasures, okay? Now, one of the very, and this is very vulnerable of me right now, one of the very silly and probably first world things that I want our house in Ohio to have is two living rooms, okay? I want one living room that's like more formal for company when they come over. And then I want one that's more informal, like for TV and playing with your kids, okay? I don't feel like this is an outrageous request. That's all I'm saying, okay? That's all. Yeah, help, Lord. But 
Tommy and I have very, very different perspectives of what it is, what extravagance looks like. He grew up in a very, very insecure home. He didn't even live in a house until we were married and had a parsonage. And so for me, I didn't know that insecurity. And so our treasures are very, very different. Now this week, as I was wrestling with this, and we were kind of at each other about the two living room situation, I, uh, I found myself being asked of the Lord, God asking me, so Stephanie, what are you going to do with those two living rooms? Who are you going to welcome? Who are you going to make space for? How will those rooms equip you to live out your kingdom identity? How are you going to steward whatever home I give you? Or is it going to own you? Hmm. So how do we fix our hearts on the right kind of treasure? Kingdom treasure that will live on in the age to come and not last merely for the here and now. Now look at your Bible at verses 22 and 23. And this is how the message says it. It's so good. It says, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide and wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. But if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you pull up the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. What are we looking at? What are our eyes fixed on? What images are shaping our imaginations? You see, the images that are constantly before our eyes, whether they be magazines or commercials or social media or Instagrammers, those images are not neutral. Those images shape our brains and our expectations and our desires. So if I, after sitting down with a cup of coffee and a real simple magazine, you know what I'm talking about, real simple, so delightful. If I sit down and I read that magazine, and then when I get up, all of a sudden, I am immediately dissatisfied with everything in my house. How has my heart been shaped by what my eyes have let in? Hmm? Have I been shaped to invest in matters of the kingdom? Or have I been shaped to obsess about wainscoting and shelf design, my flooring and honey oak cabinets, right? We cannot serve two masters. Two visions of the good life cannot coexist. One is going to win out over the other. One vision will eventually crowd out the other, or even worse, will so malform the kingdom of God vision that we begin to believe that these two visions of the good life, they're not that different. And at that point, the battle is lost for a guiding vision for kingdom living. Now, Jojo got this tricycle when she was two years old. Now, Jack found it this morning on the pulpit and dug out all the toys that were in it. Okay, so bless him for that. Now, you can see this uh, tricycle. It's been through, through some things. A lot of duct tape. A lot of duct tape on this here tricycle. But the reason why I loved this tricycle when Jojo was little was because look at this. Mom is steering. You notice this? I am directing the tricycle. Now, there are handlebars, and technically, she could move them if she chose to, but she was cool. She just sat on that. I just pushed her where she wanted. It was great. Take it to the zoo. Take it to the park. It was fabulous because she had a sense of autonomy. I am experiencing the world, and yet I was steering the tricycle. You see how delightful that is for a parent, right? But then, Jack. <laughs> and by the way, that is the title of my next book. But then, Jack, right? It did not take Jack very long to realize, if I turn this here bar, 
it affects my movement, okay? So over a year ago, Jack was not even two when he made this discovery. We were walking peacefully along when, and we're just chatting, having a great time, when Jack all of a sudden did a hard left, woo, and flew off the curb, all right? Flew off the curb. Oh, giggling ensued, and it was not me. It was him giggling, right? And for me, this tricycle has lost its luster. <laughs> because now there's two masters, and it just doesn't work quite so well. And that's the truth, isn't it? We like this idea of riding the fence a bit. Like, I can pursue wealth, and I can store it up, and I'm not really responsible for anybody else. I'm prudent. I am wise. And at the same time, claim to be citizens of the kingdom of God, a kingdom defined by self-giving and sacrificial love, but it just doesn't work that way. Because we cannot get around this simple question. Who gets the final vote? My stuff, my comfort, my preferences, the dollar bills? Or does God? Is God king or not? I want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. I want to live in to who God has called us as God's people to be right until it bumps up with my desires, what I want, my two living rooms, the good life. I told you this text would step on our toes a little bit. Who will we serve? God or wealth? Where will we store up our treasures here and now? Investing in stuff that does not last to impress people we might not even like exclusively for our own comfort and ego? Or shall we instead make long-term investments, giving of ourselves and our resources in order that the kingdom of God might be made manifest among us now? What if we released our grip just a little bit and allowed the spirit to guide us to be the stewards, not the owners, that we were created to be? What kind of generosity might emerge? How might our hearts be transformed as we shift our eyes away from those images that are currently shaping us and dictating our values and toward Jesus and his coming kingdom? Away from stuff and security and towards other people and how we might bless and support them. We can't serve two masters. Somebody's got to steer the tricycle. Now you think that would be enough for one day right there. Jesus keeps going. The passage keeps going because there is something that must be acknowledged, and Jesus knows it. It's our fear. We don't merely store up stuff because we like paying rent on storage units, or because we're just really terrible at sharing, or because we just don't care about the kingdom of God and we just want our own way. No, we cling tightly, we gather, and we store because we're afraid. We're afraid. Loss hovers so near. Scarcity bites at our ankles. Life and all we have seems so fragile. It's one fire. It's one car crash. It's one client loss. It's one job loss. And boom, it crashes. Now, this past week, an author I uh, highly respect and interacted with occasionally passed away unexpectedly at the age of 37, leaving behind a husband, a three-year-old, and a not-yet-one baby. It's the ultimate scary what if come true. And so we hedge, we guard, we weave the tightest safety net we can manage because what about tomorrow? What if? 
what does Jesus and this call to a good life defined by the kingdom of God and its way of living have to say to that? You see, Jesus, don't call me to live for the kingdom of God, to reject the good life that I can clearly see with my eyes if you're not going to address my fear, my worry, and my uncertainty. Because it's real, and it hurts, and it's scary. So let's keep reading. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying at a single hour to the span of your life? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so closes the gra- clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, oh, what do we eat or what do we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive after these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. It starts with that word, that almighty word. Therefore, since we are living under King Jesus' reign, since we say we want to serve him as our master, since we say we want to experience the good life God's way, if all that's true, then therefore do not worry. Oh, friends, worry. Some of us, including this half of your pastoral duo, basically have PhDs in worry. We excel at worry. We can worry with our eyes closed. We can worry with our hands tied behind our back. In fact, uh, you would be so impressed at my ability to simultaneously worry about 50 completely unrelated things. I mean, not to brag, but it's pretty impressive, really. And some of us are so well acquainted with anxiety Sometimes our brains are wired in a certain way that makes us more vulnerable to worry and anxiety. It's a biological disposition. And some of us have had really hard life experiences that make worry and anxiety our default mode, abuse and neglect and scarcity. And sometimes we just get stuck in that negative, fear-driven cycle in our heads. Frederick Buechner once wrote, he says, is anxiety a disease or an addiction? Perhaps it is something of both, partly perhaps because you can't help it, and partly perhaps for some dark reason you choose not to help it. You torment yourself with detailed visions of the worst that can possibly happen. Guilty. However we end up here, anxiety and worry can eat us up. Like, will we be okay? Are my kids going to be okay? What if, what if, will, will there be enough? And for some of us, that question is literal. Will there be enough food? Will there be enough money for the bills? Will there be enough gas to get me to payday? 
And for some of us, it's more about protecting what we already have. Like, what if the market turns and I lose it? What if somebody gets sick and drains the savings? What if the prices plummet and I have to lay people off and then I have to carry the weight of their struggle on my shoulders? Anxiety does not vanish at a certain salary point. It's always a question of more. More stuff, more money, more certainty, more security, more insurance, more status, more. Will it ever be enough? Will we ever have enough to feel secure? Will we ever have enough to be certain? Will we ever have enough to say, okay, I'm good now. I am now worry and anxiety proof. Whew, I made it. But how does Jesus respond to our fear? Does he shame or belittle us? Does he scold us for being afraid? Like, shame on you. How dare you fear? No. He says, open your eyes, beloved. Look around you. Look at the birds, how I provide for them. Look at the flowers, how they clothe them in wonder and in beauty and how I nurture and care for them. In the culture in which Jesus was preaching, fathers were the primary providers and mothers were the primary nurturers. Now, we understand the role of mother and father is a little bit more fluid than that, but the point is straightforward. God declares over us, I am your divine parent. I am your father who provides for you. I am your mother who clothes and nurtures you. And you are safe in my love. I am trustworthy, divine father, divine mother. Now, all that energy that we're using uh, with worry and anxiety and fear, what if we redirected it into seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness? What if we got out of the game of consumption and gathering and storing? What if we believed maybe only in fits and starts at first that God actually is who God says he is? That God actually is a loving parent, a father who provides, a mother who cares and nurtures. Now, when I was in elementary school, my mom would often come and volunteer in my classroom. And I loved it and I hated it. I loved it because I loved seeing my mom smile coming in and she just lit up the room, but I hated it because all of the naughty kids flocked to her, okay? One girl in particular, Ashley, she was so naughty and she was so mean to me. She never knew what was going on in class. She was always like in a daze half the time. Unless you crossed her, then she was sharp as a tack, let me tell you. And every single time my mom came into the classroom, Ashley would run in for a hug. And I was like, Mom, watch your back. Because Ashley was mean. And it was only until years and years later that my mom told me some of her story. You see, Ashley lived in constant insecurity and fear. She bounced around with her mom from boyfriend's house to boyfriend's house. And recently they had been evicted from their apartment. And her mother told her they were evicted because she wrote on the sidewalk with sidewalk chalk. When you experience, when you don't experience safety and love, provision and nurture, mercy and kindness from a parent, what else matters? You know, wonder she didn't care about school or people. All that she had space to think about was survival. Imagine if things had been different for her. 
Imagine if her dad had been around and provided enough food and necessities for them. Imagine if her mom had been emotionally present, asking about her day and making her lunch and brushing her hair and finding the matching hair bows. Resting in the security of her parents' love, Ashley would have been free. Free to learn, free to explore and try new things, free to risk friendships and develop relationships, free to grow into a healthy, functioning human being. Here's the thing. We are not Ashley. We do have a divine parent like that. We have a divine parent who longs to provide for us like like a divine father, uh, a nurture and care for us like a devoted mother. We are not like the Gentiles, those who do not know God or care to. We are children of God. We have been brought into this family. How might our lives blossom with generosity and with joy if we surrendered the anxiety and the worry and walked in the freedom found in trusting God? What if we rested so fully in the knowledge of God's love and care for us that we actually began to live like the freedom-filled children that we are? investing in those around us instead of in more stuff for ourselves, in caring for those around us and lifting others up, giving generously, holding nothing back. Seek first God's kingdom, God's reign among us, and God's righteousness, that Jesus-shaped way of living. And all of these things will be given unto you. It might look different than we expect. There might not even be two living rooms. But God is trustworthy. Anxiety and worry, they want to capture your heart. They want to suck you back into this empty version of the good life in which we acquire more and we achieve more and we earn more, but it'll never be enough. Instead, what if we actually put the words of Scripture into practice? Do not worry about your life. Seek first God's kingdom. Point your feet in the right direction, in the direction of peace and in mercy and reconciliation and justice. Fix your heart on kingdom treasure. Lives given over in generosity and hospitality. And maybe that's how. As we live towards the kingdom together, how God meets our needs. The poor come with their needs to be filled. And the rich come with their need to give. And perhaps somehow we become agents of God's provision for one another. And so as we pursue this good life God's way, let's be honest about where our treasure lies and why. The stuff that makes us anxious is probably a good place to look. And let's give up the game of serving two masters. Somebody has to steer the tricycle, and it shouldn't be you. But most of all, may we remember that we are God's children, the children of a loving parent, a heavenly father who provides, but also a divine mother that nurtures and cares for us. We are loved and safe, and we are invited into this family vocation of generosity and self-giving love, giving our lives away so that others might know Jesus. That's the good life pulling our eyes off ourselves and looking to God, trusting our heavenly parent to provide and to nurture and to care for us. And we will find that we are free 
free to serve, to love, to give. Thanks be to God. Amen. God, we do look to you. We look to you that you might rightly orient us. We do long after the good life, a life that is marked by peace, by joy, by contentment, by vocation. And Lord, we do confess that there are times where treasure, treasure that passes away has captured our hearts and we have become enslaved to what is good and it becomes wrong. So Lord, would you, with your Holy Spirit's power, highlight the places in us where we are not free, where we are enslaved to treasure that passes away. And would you call us forward out of fear, out of scarcity, to live in full trust that you are our provider. You long to care and nurture for us, nurture us. And Lord, may we as a church recognize we are agents of your provision. And may we lean into that calling, giving freely of ourselves, giving freely of our possessions, giving freely of our resources, knowing that we are called to put them to work for the kingdom. Lord, do this work in us that we might reflect the image of your holy son, Jesus. In the name of that son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Would you stand to receive the benediction? Beloved, Christ Church, may you not give your heart over to that which is unworthy. May you give your heart over to the kingdom. And may you be set free from fear as beloved children of God. Go in action and go in peace.